It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Green, gardening, and environment radio. Flavored with a dash of humor. Welcome to intelligent, irreverent talk about plants and the planet they grow on. Your questions, comments, and participation are always welcome on Facebook and Instagram at The Mike Novak Show and at Mike Now on Twitter. Good planets are hard to find. Temperate zones and tropic climes. True currents and thriving seas. Wind blowing through breathing trees. Strong ozone and safe sunshine. Well, good planets are hard to find. Good planets are in the main. Brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. Jet streams, perfect air. And here they are, Peggy Malecki and Mike Nova. Good planets are in the main. And I was just looking at uh, the photo of Legata and who just celebrated a birthday this week. Happy birthday. Happy birthday, Legata. And I uh, hope everyone saw the cat video. Yeah, that's right. If you haven't, you got to go to the Mike Novak show YouTube channel and check out. We did a cat video. Yes, folks, we did a cat video. Um, but and it had a lot of views too. It, it, it did, and it's st- it's still getting views. I have a feeling it's going to be one of those videos that uh, it is an all time champ uh, on the channel, and uh, it, it's because it's a cat video. What can I tell you? And and her birthday is on on Groundhog Day, so I didn't have to celebrate Groundhog Day at all, or Groundhog's Day, whatever it is they call it. Ground, ground cat day. Ground, ground cat. Ground I, I, I just ignored Groundhog's Day and just celebrated Legata's uh, birthday. Um, I had a weird Facebook incident because of it. Oh, speaking of which, I'm on a and get, and and yes. wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Yeah. Bookmark in if you are now heading over to YouTube to look at Legata's cat video, and you have not already subscribed to the Mike Novak Show. Please do so because it's going to be a good thing if you do. Yeah. Well, I was going to. To, to talk about that because yeah. um, we're heading towards Facebook though. So I want to make sure we got it in. No, I was, I was actually heading toward uh restream and the, uh, the, uh, the chat room. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I'll tell my Facebook story uh, and then, and then we'll get to the, uh, the other story in just a second. Uh, and my Facebook story is I had a friend write and ask how old is Legata? And I, and I wrote back, uh, well, I can't, if I told you, uh, I would have to kill you or, or scratch your hands until they bleed, uh, Legata's orders. And um, Facebook deleted it and said it violated their community, um, whatever that, that uh, is. Yeah. Yep. Standards, I, community standards. Community yep. standards, because I said I would kill, kill her. And it would, obviously it was a joke. Uh, I mean, we just kind of think we say to, I can't tell you or I'd have to kill you. Uh, and they went, and they got rid of that thing. Uh, and I went, oh, I hope they didn't give me a, a black mark here. Now, you know, Mark Zuckerberg's going to come after me in person. He'll be knocking on my door. 
uh, and and telling me that uh, no, you can't you can't yeah. say that. Uh, we're no, we we really don't we're not interested in saving democracy, but you can't joke around with your friends. Okay, please. Uh, so at any rate, yes, and you brought up a, a really good thing. We we both deserve a ding on this because on my birthday, which was in January, was the twenty first. Uh, I announced a challenge. Uh, to help raise some funds, uh, money for the legal fund to save Bell Bull Prairie. And I said, if you click on and subscribe to my YouTube channel, um, I, would, I would toss in $5 for each new mm-hmm. subscription. As of this morning, we have hit two, yes, 200 subscriptions. <laughs> new 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 subscribers to the YouTube channel. Right. New. I said yeah. new subscriptions. We've hit yeah. 200 new subscriptions. Which is free. Uh, and that free, means free, that $1,000 is going to the Bell Bull Prairie, the Save Bell Bull Prairie Legal Fund. Um, and, uh, and I told folks, I extended this the other day. Uh, so it's through the end of today. So if you want to if you haven't subscribed yet, and I welcome all the new subscribers who are watching the show today. Thank you so much for doing that. And I told people, you don't even have to watch the show. Just subscribe. Yeah. Just subscribe yeah. to the show. Um, and uh, and if you're, you are watching, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Um, there's a public meeting. We're going to talk about this uh, at the yeah. 10, 10 o'clock half hour, uh, about public meeting for uh, the uh, Save Bell Bull Prairie effort coming up Tuesday. Um, folks, we're... We're less than a month away before potentially the bulldozers are going to roll and wipe out that remnant prairie. Um, and uh, we'll, we'll continue to talk about it as we move up there. And, of course, there's a legal challenge, and that costs money, and that's why we've been raising money. We'll t- tell you how, how you can contribute to matching funds to the legal fund as well. So, I, But I just wanted to mention that uh, 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 because we hit 200 and uh, we can go to the end of the day. Woo-hoo. So if we get a few more, I'll I'll have to dig. Do we hear two fifty? Do we hear three hundred? Uh, oh my goodness! Um, well, so I... tell all your friends, everybody, just send out a quick email to three people you know. Uh, uh, give them a link. Say, doesn't cost you anything. You never even have to watch the show. Just click subscribe. And I might have to find some more friends because uh, uh, several of my friends, uh, friends of the show, actually have stepped up to help with the fund. Um, so, uh, thank you to them. They, you know who you are. They all wish to remain anonymous. Um, and, uh, thank you so much for that. Okay. On today's show, we're talking, yes, it's the, uh, the middle of winter, deep in the heart of winter. And yeah, we're going to talk composting. Why not? Here's why. It was by request. Um, we had a request, uh, and I, I don't know if I should name the person who requested it. So I won't at the moment. Um, a, a listener slash viewer um, said, when are you going to talk about composting? And I said, well, next week. How about that? And uh, and so we did. And we have uh, a couple of experts here that we'll have on in just a second. So that's the first hour. Then Peggy and I are going to talk about a few issues. In fact, you're going to preview the February issue of Natural Awakening Chicago. Product placement. Product placement, uh, which has just come out. And... Uh, I hope you uh, have some great stories in mind to tell people. We'll talk a little bit about the Belbo Prairie issue. There's the Carvana, oh boy, uh, meeting uh, in Skokie tomorrow evening. 
where they're going to vote on whether to put this 14, what is it, 14 story Carvana Tower in Skokie, yeah. opposite Harms Woods, where it can become the Pez. The car the, vending machine. The, the yeah. car, the Pez car vending dispenser of bird death. Um, and um, boy, that just is like the dumbest idea ever. But uh, don't get me started. Uh, we'll talk about other things we might get to. And then, of course, uh, meteorologist Rick DeMaio is here, and he sent us some really interesting stuff about the environmental impact of the Beijing Olympics. Uh, we've got some, what? Why are you shaking and your I, head? Because I was watching, after I read all that, and I was watching the slalom runs last night, I was like, okay. <laughs> That's all you could think of, right? Is that- Well, yeah, and there was something they didn't even touch on in those articles of the night runs. Everything is lit up beyond lit up. Oh, my gosh. So light pollution in addition. You know, they're not using, there's no real snow. It's all whipped cream that they're using. Everybody's skiing on whipped cream. I don't know if you realize that. Um, But uh, so when they fall down, they just grab a little bit. Mm, That's good. All right. Uh, but no, actually, uh, there are consequences to what's going yeah, on there. Yes. And, and I'm, I'm so glad Rick called it to our attention because it's, it's very yeah. interesting stuff. All right. Without further ado, then, uh, let us go to our guests. And uh, there they are in uh, the uh, lower corners uh, on the left and the right. On the left is Amy Bartucci. And she's the administrative coordinator for the Illinois Food Scrap Coalition. Uh, she also serves as a board member for the Illinois Stewardship Alliance. Uh, she founded Go Green Park Ridge and Green Drinks Park Ridge um, and, and director of membership for the League of Women Voters of Park Ridge. So you're, you're kind of an active person, aren't you, Amy? Just a bit. <laughs> yeah, a little tiny bit. And then the, the woman on our right um, was an interpretive naturalist with the Will County Forest Preserves <clears throat> excuse me, for more than 20 years, which I had that information I had to pry out of her, okay, because she didn't want to give it up readily. Um, she's been composting since the 1990s. She's worked with Amy on uh, the uh, Illinois Food Scrap Coalition Education Committee, and you have to tell us why you're wearing that particular garb, Kate Caldwell. Oh, no, wait, wait, wait. Oh, boy. Is it me or is it you? Or is it Memorex? Um, it's me. There we go. Mm. Go ahead, Kate. Phew. Yes, uh, really. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's what really got me started. Yeah. Uh, so what? Um, tell us where you, where you went to school. Um, so I went to Governor State University for my master's degree in environmental biology. Um, and it was after going to college and for all you kids out there that are going through four years of college and you're like, well, now what do I do? It's very normal to be at that stage. And that's where I was in the eighties. And just by kind of tooling around a little bit, cause I like the sciences, eventually getting into, um, uh, actually working with the Re- Naperville area recycling center in the eighties and then, uh, making my way over to college at page and then making my way over to governor state university and getting a master's degree, which I never thought I was going to do. And I loved it. And that's what, that's really why I'm doing everything that I'm doing now. It really connected me. Okay. We need equal time for Amy to tell us uh, if you want 
where you went to school and, and how did you get involved in all this stuff? Well, I think I'd say I'm late to the game in comparison to Kate, but I'm okay um, to say that I was born and raised caring about the environment, but I'd say my activism started uh, in 2011, 2012, uh, a little bit more, you know, intentionally in the local area where I live in Park Ridge. Uh, I got to be, you know, busy with my grassroots efforts as an organizer and then went to school to study environmental studies at Oakton. Um, and that's the the way you see me now is someone who's put a little time in uh, the classroom and at the same time want to connect that with the people that I live with and uh, work with to see a better tomorrow. So I did enjoy meeting Kate uh, through the Education Committee and the Illinois Food Scrap Coalition, and I'm really excited that we're getting to share this time on the show today. And I have to say about both of you that uh, you're relentlessly energetic and relentlessly positive about all of this stuff, which which is a balance to me, okay? That, that's a good thing, okay? So you, you counterbalance uh, my own uh, attitudes. Uh, Peggy tries, but it's, it's really heavy lifting. Um, so we, what I want to do uh, to start, and I don't want to get into the, the, uh, the numbers uh, too much, but we need, we need to start with something like that. And then we'll get, we're going to get into the practical aspects of composting in your backyard. Um, but I want to pop up this graphic and it is the, uh, total municipal solid waste landfill by material in 2018. This is from the EPA. Um, and Kate, you sent me a similar graphic They're They're all pretty similar. Yeah. When, when you look at these, look at on the left, the bright yellow, yeah. that's food. For, for, for our listeners, that's food is 24.1% of all material landfilled yeah. in 2018. Right. And um, there are, there's also wood, uh, which is 8.3%, paper uh, and paper board, 11.8%, yard trimming, 7.2%. You add all of those, that's all organics, really. Yeah. Uh, when you think yep. about it, although I saw, I read one thing, they said, uh, paper wasn't organic. I'm like, uh, in, uh, on what planet is paper? Yeah. Not, yeah, not, I a, agree. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did uh, change when we weren't watching. Yeah. So what you're seeing there is, and, and thank you, Peggy, for mentioning it for the people listening on the podcast, food is fully 24.1% of material that goes to landfills. That is 146 million tons, not pounds, but tons of waste. And by the way, we produce more waste than any uh, uh, country on the planet, which is, uh, let's see here, uh, the world wastes about 1.4 billion tons of food every year. The United States discards more food than any other country, 40 million tons every year. Um, that's estimated to be 30 to 40 percent of the entire U.S. food supply and equates to 219 pounds of waste per person. So each of us is responsible for 219 pounds of waste going to a landfill. And speaking of landfills, this is uh, management of uh, municipal solid waste in the United States. Half of it, 50 percent, and this is 2018, 50% goes to landfill. Uh, recycled is about 23.6%. This is, again, from the EPA. 
Recycling is about 23.6%. Composting, 8.5%. Then they have one a category called Other Food Management Pathways, uh, which can be a lot of different things. It's 6.1%. And then finally, Combustion with Energy Recovery, 11.8%. So when you look at 50% going to landfills of the waste we produce in our country, that that is saying something. In fact, uh, Amy, that's that's kind of the reason that you have the uh, Illinois Food Scrap Coalition. That is saying something. Definitely. I actually was somebody who started listening to the work of the Illinois Food Scrap Coalition when it was an idea that um, blossomed. I mean, it was something that people in Illinois realized there wasn't a concerted effort in a coalition to start paying attention to uh, where our food scraps were going. So in, uh, I'd say 10 years ago this year is when the conversations began. Uh, I started joining calls as an average um, resident interested in figuring out what our state was going to be doing on a, you know, scaled up level. And um, the rest is history. I stuck around long enough to start joining committees and be, you know, really interested in turning some of the um, solutions into my daily habits to be able to be a part of a committee, uh, work with people who have, you know, like minds to see where we're going in this direction. So the Illinois Food Scrap Coalition has a lot of options for people who would want to see an end market for food scraps mm-hmm. um, that would pull together people who are involved in this currently. I think that percentage is low um, and we can do better in Illinois for, you know, making sure food scraps are turned into a viable um, soil amendment. But being that, I think that what's not really shown on there and is harder for us to grapple with is that there are a lot of decentralized options for food scrap diversion, which is the topic of your show today because um, mm-hmm. backyard composters are not being you know, con- included in that data, which I understand would be really hard for the EPA to collect in our state. But um, for people to feel hope and know that they have this option um, right outside their door in, in many cases, not in all cases, but the backyard composting is something that um, many of us can take part in. Um, and for people who don't have the backyard uh, to find a collaborative, you know, solution to be able to share ways to get food scraps into, um, you know, a, a pile or an operation that's going to turn it into a soil amendment. Well, that takes us to um, uh, the question of, and people ask this all the time when faced with the challenge of climate change, what can I do as an individual and am I making any difference? And Kate this is something you've talked to people about. And, and as I actually put on my Facebook post a couple of days ago, yeah, probably if you're composting in your yard, it's not making much difference on a world scale, but imagine if everybody compost. And these are the kinds of conversations you had out in Will County when you were talking zero waste with the folks there, right? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, And the, the simple answer to um, you know, should I compost? Do I really, does it really make a difference or should I throw it in the landfill? And honestly, um, when you look at the fact that and Mike, you and I talked about this before, where if you compost in your backyard, it does give off carbon dioxide. Um, if you throw your food waste into the landfill, it gives off methane gas. Methane gas is 26 to 30 times more potent um, in emitting carbon into the atmosphere 
over um, a compost pile. So the answer to me, you know, was a no brainer. I think between the two, and I think there are people get kind of hung up on, you know, well, that emits carbon dioxide and that emits carbon over here. It's the fact that we are emitting too much carbon into the atmosphere beyond what the planet can handle. And that's what we need to be focusing on. Everything emits carbon. We're carbon-based life forms. But um, what we need to be focusing on is uh, re carbon emission reduction and also carbon sequestration, meaning taking carbon from the atmosphere and pulling it back into the soil and, and other technologies as well. Right. And, and let's emphasize again, for folks who were not clear on that, yes, you produce carbon dioxide by composting, but it's a whole lot better than throwing it into a landfill where it creates methane. And plus, plus the transportation to get it to the landfill. Yeah, that's crazy. And I don't even know if that's added in. I yeah. mean, when you were showing that number, Mike, of 20, 24% that was on the graph, yeah. 26%? 24, I um, believe. 24%. And then you add up the paper and you add up, like, everything else. It comes out to be about 50% of the landfill that could be diverted away from the landfill and put back mm -hmm. into the earth. Um, so imagine, because, like, the landfill is emitting all of this methane gas. Yeah. And if we just removed half of the landfill, which we are capable of doing as individuals, either by doing it with composting in our backyard, or as Amy was saying, there's lots of options out there, thanks right. to Illinois Coalition getting all of this yeah. started. I, I think there's even an extra layer that I would imagine they're not counting, is reusing that compost in your yard versus going going and buying a new fertilizer or a new bagged compost to bring in and all the energy involved That's, with that. Right. And it, because exactly. uh, the, is wrapped in plastic <laughs> in the stores. Uh, what, I'm sorry. What is wrapped in plastic? Yeah. When you go to the store to buy the little bag of compost, it's yeah. wrapped in yeah. plastic. <laughs> and then the, the skids that that compost comes on is wrapped in further plastic for shipping. Oh no. Ah. <laughs> Uh, but there are so many good uses for compost. Uh, it's obviously, uh, and I have some of those links there. You should go to my blog post at MikeNovak.net um, and, and just spend some time clicking on some of the links. It, it'll tell you um, about the good things that compost does. Obviously, it helps you grow uh, veggies in your garden. It helps you grow other things in, in your garden as well. It can uh, prevent soil erosion. It can purify water. Um, I had one article that I linked to. It had like 15 reasons you should, 15 benefits uh, of, of composting. Now, I don't want to go down a... Fun. <laughs> what? It can be fun. Yeah. Well, composting is actually kind of fun. It is, especially when you're pull, pulling the, especially if you like worms um, and critters, uh, little tiny critters, not the not the not the furry kind. Um, but um, all right, here I I don't want to go down a rabbit hole, but I had a comment I posted yesterday that you guys were going to be on the show, and somebody wrote. Compost is great for veggie gardens and maybe for flower pots, but not much use. Otherwise, natural recirculation of organic matter is the way to go. I'm like, okay. Huh. Uh, would you care to uh, maybe uh, jump in, one of you, and 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 address that particular comment? Can I? 
Yeah. Kate, cool. I just have to say, I saw that comment, Mike, and I realized I'm going to hope he brings this up on the show. Um, <laughs> I read that aloud to my husband and we just cracked up because basically the person who made the comment described exactly what composting is, is making sure the organics are recirculated back into the soil. So I was very confused and I think that it probably could have some, you know, further conversation as to where and how that person was thinking that there was another solution. But the way I read it was that he described exactly what composting is, recirculating organics into the, mm-hmm. into the soil. Well, and it doesn't take into account food scraps because you cannot mm-hmm. just take food scraps and throw them in your yard and wait for them to break down because you're going to have, uh, speaking of critters, you're going to have quite a few show up there. Um, and I mean, you could, you could, if you wanted to. Well, yeah. I mean, I think what he's talking about is the whole leave the leaves program, which is what I do in my yard. And I leave, uh, okay. the, uh, the spent yeah. stalks and stems of plants all winter and in the spring. Yeah. I'll discard some of them, but some of them have already started to break down and, and you can leave those in your yard. And, and, and that's, uh, a great way to go. I don't, fertilize in my yard i haven't fertilized in years because i just leave what's there the detritus and let it do its thing um but composting is a different thing because i still have a compost pile because i've got kitchen scraps coming out of here and and it's interesting uh amy that uh, i know there's a a controversy in that whole world that you inhabit with the illinois food scrap coalition uh whether to call it uh, food waste or food scraps. And I know that the, the people in the business hate the term food waste. Um, they want to call it food scraps. Um, and, and part of the problem is that we, food that's still perfectly good ends up getting landfilled and thrown into dumpsters. This is why we have dumpster diving uh, for veggies sometimes. Folks have done that. Um, but uh, Yeah, Mike, real quick. One, one way of thinking of that is saying, food waste versus versus wasted food and i think people really think that's such an easy you know comparison to make because when you're talking about wasted food it means you could have done something with it right previous to it becoming wasted right very good point and see composting is only one solution uh, there are you, know, you can donate your food to pantries. You can give it to people uh, to organizations like uh, AmpleHarvest.org, who we've had on the show a number of times. Gary Oppenheimer's group. Um, there, are, there are organizations all over the country that try to take the food uh, that is still good and get it to people who need it. Because one of the things Americans are really good at is wasting food that they buy. Uh, and they never get around to using. Now, the problem with that, if you know, the the very last thing you want to do is compost it. That that is, if nothing else, if you can't do anything else, yes, please compost your food. Better yet, don't buy as much or figure out a way to get that food to people who need it, because there are still a lot of food insecure people in the United States. All right, so that gets us to the idea of our backyards and starting a compost pile. Uh, now that we've gotten the, the political and social discussion. <laughs> now that uh, we've solved that portion of the day. That's right. We've, we've, we've solved the problems of the world for everybody. Um, how does one start? Um, who, 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 maybe Kate, we'll, we'll, we'll go with you. Uh, I know you're a fan of... You're a fan of using tumblers, but you've used different kinds of uh, 
uh, devices. Tumblers. Um, Tumblr was, was not the first thing I used. I started out with a pile. Um, Peggy and I were talking about that. And um, I started with a pile and then I thought, okay, you know, maybe something a little bit more contained and a little more attractive. Um, and I went to a wire bin. Um, it was about three feet in width and I piled my compost in there about three feet in height. And I focused on uh, turning it every week. And it was, I really, the wire bin was actually my favorite. And when I was throwing stuff in there, it was mostly yard waste, like weeds and things like that. But that's what really got me hooked because I noticed when I would pick up my wire bin and move it over, you know, so I'd have like this much uh, weeds in the wire bin. So I'd pick up the bin, move it over, take my little pitchfork and toss it in. After week two, I started to notice like crumbly dark bits. By week three and four, the vegetation had mashed down so much that there was just this little pile of compost. And I'm like, are you kidding me? This is fantastic. So that's what then moved me to level up to let me get a three bin system, which I couldn't fit in my yard. I actually could only do a two bin system. Um, and then I made the big leap uh, into a tumbler. And I love my tumbler. And I know, Mike, we talked about this, that it's, and it, you are not alone. Everyone is afraid because of how expensive the tumbler that I love is. But I'm telling you, it has lasted me since 2008. And so I guess you look at it as a cost of maybe, you know, $15 a year. Mm -hmm. Uh, when, when you when you break it out, save your tax money and and invest in it. And I I love it because it it eliminates the problems of uh, pests and uh, just crazy things. The tumbler is able to heat up and break it down very very quickly. Well, I still love my bins that I have. I still use those. Okay, we're, we need to break here, but. One of the things I want to point out to start, um, and you and you guys will understand this, that places like Chicago, you need to have a completely enclosed container mm -hmm. because you're going to have, I, yeah, I can't you're going to have you're going to have vermin uh, come by. Uh -huh. I mean, even even when it's completely enclosed, they know it's there. They know it's inside mm -hmm. that. They're not dumb, um, and you have to make sure you do that. But in other areas, you can have an open container, but you're still. You're still are open bins, but you're still dealing with other kinds of critters out there as as well. So you have to be careful about what you do. So if if you're in the city, uh, I'm going to suggest that you get um, uh, a con an enclosed container uh, that you can seal uh, when you put in your stuff. I have one. I call it the Darth Vader helmet. We'll see a. Uh, a, uh, an example of that in a video that Kate is in uh, when we come back from the break. In fact, when we come back, uh, Amy, uh, I'm going to take us to the uh, Illinois Food Scrap Coalition page that I brought up earlier and uh, show people what uh, where they can go to start. I have that page listed uh, on my blog post, and you can click on it. And if you if you're if you're scared about doing this, if you wanted to do it and you're nervous and you didn't know how to do it, they'll walk you through it. And in fact, all of those sites, I've got a site from um, Illinois Extension. They'll walk you through it as well. So let's take a break. We'll come back and we'll get into the practical stuff. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Yes, Peggy? 
And we've got some questions coming in. And oh. um, I know Kate and I had talked about this briefly before the show as well. Let's talk about composting in the wintertime. Ah, yeah, because there are there are things you can do and things you can't do. And uh, I've been uh, trying some of those myself and Peggy. You and I were, were, were talking about that. All right. As I said, Mike Novak and Peggy Molecki, we'll be right back. I've never seen anything like it. The fire equivalent of an ice age. Like peering into Dante's Inferno. And it's only going to accelerate. This is only beginning. We're surrounded by fire. My dad put his hand on my shoulder and he said, don't leave. Whatever you do, do not let that building burn down. Evacuate. Everything was on fire. The looks on their faces, they were sure they were going to die. Run for your life. I've never seen that look in anybody's face. The world is waking up to the hellish realization that all over this planet, wildfires are burning us alive. Most of the people I know lost everything. And that's why we came to be embedded with firefighters on what turned out to be the deadliest day for fires in California. Yet again, two years in a row, we're caught with our pants down. You're left making decisions you don't want to make. It was difficult, very difficult. <laughs> Private firefighters protect people with money. Bring your own brigade. How you doing? We're still here. We didn't burn up. Blame the firefighters. Blame the environmental community. Point fingers in other directions other than yourself. Fire everywhere. No fire engines. Chief, put something into action now. Even if we believe it's climate change, which I don't, we got to do something about it. Why do we approve building in places that are dangerous? Logging operations are making fires burn faster and hotter. I am not hearing this story anywhere. This is the story. I don't see this as a natural disaster. I see this as human error. Fire can be our friend or it can be our enemy. Maybe we need to go back 100 years and say they did it right, and we've mismanaged it. Treat the land with respect. If we're at war fire, we're going to spend a lot of money, we're going to take a lot of casualties, and we're going to lose. And I still don't think the public understands that. From spring seed and soil treatments to summer foliar feeding to fall stubble digesters, Blazing Star provides microbial tools from tiny biologicals for natural and organic farmers. They have solutions for home gardeners, too. And Blazing Star offers agroecological education and consulting, especially for permaculture work in Zones 4 and 5. Learn more about these great folks at blazing-star.com. And welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We're talking composting today, backyard composting. Mm -hmm. Um and I, I said, composting, balcony what, composting. Uh, sure. And even, uh, yeah, in your basement under your kitchen sink, uh, we will touch on vermicomposting, which is composting with worms a little bit, but mostly we're talking about doing this in your backyard. And here's that page I was telling you about at, uh, the, uh, uh, mm -hmm. Illinois food scrap coalition. It's called composting food scraps from home. I've got a link to it uh, at uh, my blog post. Um, 
And one of the things at the top of the page, uh, if some of you listening obviously do not have backyards and you still, you can still compost by hiring a company to do it for you. A lot of, there are more and more companies that come by and will pick it up and they will get it composted like collective resource compost, who, which has been a sponsor on our show. And uh, that map there that you see on the right, you click on that, and it'll take you. Uh, tell us, uh, Amy, uh, what you'll see when you get the, on the map. So the goal of the map is to um, show people where they may be able to bring their food scraps in a um, just ad hoc, you know, uh, situation. If you have your food scraps and you're not part of a subscription service, um, you can take a look at the map and see what your options are. Some of the pins on the map uh, are going to describe where you may need to pay a small fee when you drop off your food scraps. The goal is to find as many options to be added on this map where you may be able to bring your food scraps for free. Um, I think eventually uh, the map could grow the more we have collaboration in Illinois. Uh, but just so you know too, the um, the food scraps that you know that you have for a party, you know, could be their small step that you're gonna take and say, you know, I, I don't compost year round. I don't have an option, but this is important to me that I want to do at least for this um, gathering I have in my backyard or the block party that we're going to collaborate and make sure that, you know, we get our food scraps taken care of responsibly. So it could be a small step like that. I and know a student who who organized her graduation party last year and told her family, this is going to be a waste-free party. And she ended up asking where and how, what's the options that I have to bring my food scraps um, and the compostable products we're using for my backyard party. And mm -hmm. she took the, um, the bags to the Green City Market and took care of it herself, probably used a little graduation money for that small amount um, for drop-off. So I think that was a really wise decision and a good example for her family members. Right. And and you can see it's uh, you can get started. You can't read it on the screen, unfortunately, because it's it's too small. But uh, getting started, uh, what to compost in your backyard, what can be composted using compost, uh, and even a, a short introductory video. In this video, you will learn about what materials, and you'll learn all, all about that as 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 you watch it. So let's start. There's some other videos linked through there too. I see. All right, let's start with um, containers, um, uh, Amy and Kate. Um, for a beginner, what is going to be the best container for them to get? What do you? What's your experience with that? Well, mine uh, was the wire bin, which is mm -hmm. for baby steps, and you want to see how it's going to work, and maybe you don't want that pile just laying in your yard. Um, I just went out and got some chicken wire and I didn't really want to go into the weeds and read too much about it. I just piled some stuff in there without thinking about layering and carbon versus nitrogen. That was just too overwhelming to me. And by doing that um, for the first year and seeing the results, that was a very good step for me. So a wire bin is inexpensive to free. You can get scrap and mm -hmm. just uh, put your yard waste in there and just watch it, watch composting, go to work. And I've seen, uh, I went to a workshop uh, several years ago where some guys were putting together compost bins out of used pallets. Um, mm -hmm. Now you don't want them, the wood chemically treated because it will, right. 
be absorbed into the materials, and that's something to keep in mind when you're putting materials together. Uh, but that was a good way to do it, and they put the, the mesh wire uh, so that it was completely uh, enclosed, and um, it seemed to work very well. Amy, um, let me ask you a question about what kinds of materials go in, and do you have to layer? All right, I have... Um, a Darth Vader helmet uh, composting bin in my yard. I don't layer. I just throw stuff in. And I don't worry about how much carbon is going in and how much uh, nitrogen. We need to have both, obviously. Do you care a lot about the ratios? In my case, it seems to work out fine. And I, because I'm aware I, I will put in leaf material, but I will put yeah. in nitrogen material as well. Food scraps, there's a lot of nitrogen. You need to add a little paper. Right. Uh, food, um, you know, even coffee filters. Boom. Mm-hmm. Uh, I put those in there because they'll, they'll they'll degrade. Uh, what's your opinion on that? I think it's up to the user and what we found for our backyard bins. So we have two working uh, bins and then the third is our staging for next year. So we only harvest our um, compost to be used in our raised beds once a year. I believe I should be doing it twice a year, but we just, we don't get it. We don't get out there to do this. It's, it can be backbreaking to harvest our compost pile because it ends up being a lot. We cook at home. We have a large family, so we are very plant-based. So, so much of what we are putting back there is being utilized in our, you know, kitchen recipes all the time. Uh, that happens to be, you know, an in-season non-winter picture, but I do have some winter photos. Um, it is a bit of layering, and I'd say that we have a pile to the left, which is all of our brown matter. And we use that to add to our food scraps, which is our working pile. And basically the brown matter is our leaves from anywhere on our property. You know, we, we save our grass clippings when we can. Most of the time we have our grass clippings just go back into our lawn when we're um, doing our lawn care ourselves. But um, often we'll put some grass clippings in there to be able to use as our um, brown. And then pine cones and twigs that are small enough. Um, sometimes we use uh, egg cartons and things like that to be able to add a little bit more or paper I don't use paper towels, but toilet paper tubes um, can go in there. We try to have it the most clean brown um, substances that we can add. And we have a property where we have enough brown matter to be able to add there. I know that picture looks messy, but that happens to be what our harvest days used to look like. Um, We added that third bin. So starting next year, we'll have that staging area where we will no longer need to use that tarp to pull out our um, compost that's not ready. But basically what happens is the bottom layer, since we're utilizing this bin and trying to turn it as often as possible, um, but we do have a winter season that kind of interrupts the the actual turning of the pile. Um, the bottom is where our best um, compost comes out. And we made the sifter uh, to be able to pull that out, put it on there. And then I never use gloves. My family always says, that's crazy. You don't use gloves. But I'm like, you got to touch this. It's really healthy <laughs> for you. Yeah, <laughs> um, the microbes so are helping. Of, yeah, yeah we sift it through there, and it becomes a family mm-hmm. experience. Um, so, Mike, you have that st- um, that time lapse video. Oh, too, that yeah, show a little bit of yeah. that. Let's let's and, let's get to and, that. And I do have some questions about the materials going in that I want to address. Yes. All right, take a look at this. This <laughs> this is twenty seconds, and it's the whole composting <laughs> season in twenty seconds. Um, it's great. You can see the two bins, and you're working the one there. Yeah, and the third one is just to the right of that um, working bin. And then you can see we take the sifter out there 
And that's when we're getting to the good stuff. We use a wheelbarrow and then go back and forth to our garden to be able to um, put that in our, our garden for the vegetables that we're growing in the spring. Yeah, but you know what? You don't have to use a sifter. I'll, I'll be really honest. I'm I'm kind mm-hmm. of a down and dirty guy. And one of the great things about the bin I use is that there's a, a hatch at the bottom, and then you open that up, and you just that's where all of the yeah. the, the good stuff, uh, it, it as it decomposes becomes uh, your compost, and you just dig that out, throw it into buckets, and and throw it in in the yard. Um, sometimes I even, yeah. yeah. Uh, so you were talking about the the stuff you put in, uh, including, I I had some questions on some of that. Yeah. Go ahead, Peggy. Go ahead, Peggy. So Kate, I know you addressed this in your video. Um, but also we were just talking now about adding food scraps, adding an egg carton, for example, um, paper, et cetera. What's a good size? Would you break all this down to put it in first? You chop it up? Do you like cut up the paper before you put it in? Throw the whole thing in? Yeah, no, the more you can chop things up, the faster the microbes are going to get to that material and start to break it down into compost, um, the better. So if you're putting an egg carton in, if you just throw a whole egg carton in, that's taking up a lot of airspace. But if you rip it up into little tiny bits, then uh, those micro- you're exposing the surface area to the microbes, and they're like working in that carbon, which is the egg carton, and with the nitrogen, which is your food scraps or your yard waste that's green. You mix those things together, and they're in smaller pieces. You're going to get faster results in compost, and that's what, that is what we want. And, Likewise, and, if so, you're throwing away a lot yeah. of vegetable that's gone bad or something, you're going to want to chop that up. You don't throw a whole head of cabbage Absolutely. in there. Absolutely. You don't have to. Like, Mike, you, you say you don't. You don't have well, to Well, no, do no, that. no. I, just... I, I actually do with, with, you know, if if uh, uh, I have a vegetable, as Peggy said, that's gone bad, I get out there with the shovel mm-hmm. and I hack at it. Uh, but I don't, I don't spend a whole lot of time. It's just like, yeah. just basically break that sucker open. Or and just a knife at the cutting board. Or... That's all you and as, I've, I've seen people throw them into um, a blender. Yeah. Top it up. Yeah. So you can go that route. Um, I use this um, for outside. I just, I found this old shovel um, inside my garage and I just use this. And then I actually. Wait, uh, I'll tell you what, shovel. I can, uh, I can show them. <laughs> yeah. No, and and, and it has- you get that bucket, by the way, Kate. You said that's I, a I bought it. It's got our food scraps that I put underneath the um, uh, kitchen sink. Um, I bought it at a feed store, and it's a rubber bucket, and not a plastic bucket because plastic will crack. And then all I do um, is just I can show it. I can I can show it, Kate, right here. Let's just take a let's take a look at this here. And as you said, it's a rubber. You're getting a nice workout too. Yeah, I'm getting a little work out there. And then you put it, that's your brand new spanking new composter. That's brand shiny spanking new. Yeah, my other one is the one I've used. Open it up. So I'm going to take this food, which looks like, oh, that used to be in your garbage can. But because I'm zero waste, it's not in my garbage can. Uh, It kind of smells like what would be in your garbage can, but it's not. So I'm going to pour it in here. Yeah, that composter's way too clean. Yeah, yeah. It is. It does not look like that now, I can guarantee you. Now, now you're putting in... What you see in the composting unit is a lot of nitrogen. 
And when you make compost, just think of these two things, carbon and nitrogen. And if that doesn't make any sense to you, food is the nitrogen and adding mm -hmm. a little bit of carbon, which is sawdust. And the sawdust I like is, is uh, something you use for beddings for horses, untreated sawdust. So I just sprinkle a little bit of that in there. Now, wh what about um, what I do fireplace ads? Um, I've tried that and that, when, on my list of things uh, that you can use for carbon, that is okay. Um, but as far as effectiveness, sawdust was at the top of the list as far as reactivity with carbon and nitrogen. Yeah, but you you got a special sawdust uh, that's used for uh, horses, right? And not everybody's, yes. everybody's going to have access to that. No, yeah, no, no. You want exactly. to be careful with the type of sawdust you're using, too. Yeah, obviously. Right, you want untreated. Untreated, untreated. yeah. And you can yes. see what that looks like there. Uh, right. I'm gonna I'm gonna move it up just a little bit here, because okay. your old one, and I you know go what? to my daughter lives. There's in the Darth Vader city. helmet, by the way. Uh, oh, there it is. Yeah. Yeah, and that's the kind I have in my yard, and I just what you do here is I'm gonna pause it so they can see what it, what that looks like. Um, and you use it as a staging area, a holding tank, kind of for your. I do. And I, I, I use it for my composting, and I only have one, um, but it works great. Uh, it, it yeah, I, I love that thing. Yeah, I, We used that as a composter at the Nature Center with school kids. And funny story, we used to take, like, apples and bananas and things that the kids mm -hmm. just weren't eating and throw them in whole into the Darth Vader helmet. And then we would find that the raccoon party from the night before – would happen and then the composter was tipped over but if you chop it up and bury it then the raccoons don't know it's there it's off their radar so they don't have a party with the the composting unit okay yeah. and we're we're, so, we're we're getting questions about rats and about um moisture and about winter and moisture um, yeah, which way do we want to start with first here? Let's start with moisture, and then we'll get to winter, and then we'll we'll, we'll, we'll finish with rats. Um, so we've got, yeah, Sally says she lives on the North Carolina coast, and the materials she puts in her tumbler dry out so fast that she doesn't get good compost. Any advice? Well, um, okay, so that just means she's not putting in uh, enough nitrogen-based material, um, like food scraps. So she just needs to add more of either the vegetative type or the food scrap type to it or or, or, some, or some moisture. I mean, I, one of the yeah, things I'll, I do, I, and because I have to keep the lid on to keep the critters out when it rains, um, it's the, it's the compost bin is not getting enough moisture. So I'll open it up and I'll put some water in there. And again, the, the rule of thumb is make it moist, not soaking. You don't want it, you know, saturated. You, don't want you, you want it like a, like a, a wet sponge where it's just right. enough, just holding a little bit of moisture so it can decompose. And honestly, I'll say I've that it never... is a recommendation to water it. Some well, people yeah, do water know, their compost pile. They do. And, I have never had to water mine. So um, you, I just play with it, and then I've never had to water it. Yeah. If anything, I've had some of the areas wet. If there but is yes, an area, I think many of... Go ahead, Amy. Amy? 
Oh, I was just going to say ours happens to be probably in a similar spot to Kate's as in part sun or even more shade, which doesn't dry out as quickly, perhaps as the yeah. person who's making the comment. So those who have very sunny spots or maybe drier conditions are probably recommended to water their pile. Uh, we've never needed to do that. And I think that's another benefit to keeping our pile out year round because winter adds its own natural moisture by snow, um, you know, mm -hmm. sitting on top of it. So we just, we are also water conservationists mm -hmm. here, so we don't water our pile and it works out just well, yeah, the but, way it should uh, but be again, But again, if you've got a, a Darth Vader helmet like I do, you're, you're not, the snow's, uh, it's sitting out there with snow piled on top of the lid right now. Right. So, so, mm -hmm. um, and, and what I do in terms of watering my compost pile, if I need to, I open that up and I take the water from my rain barrel and pour it in to yeah. provide some moisture to, so that way I'm not uh, using up that resource either. Um, so, uh, and, and you brought up a good point, Amy, and either one of you can address this. Is it better to have a compost pile in the sun or in the shade or does it matter? I would say the shade. I think part shade is the best. Why? Because I so think the heat helps. The heat helps if you can get it in a little bit of sun. I would say don't try to only pick your spot based on sun and shade. Um, you also want to have something that is going to be um, something you can tolerate. You don't want it right next to your house. If that's an option, you could probably put it over in a corner. Um, again, these are all privileges that some people have when they have a large enough space to you know, weigh the pros and cons in, in terms of where to put it. But ours is in part shade. Um, we have never had a problem with having to add water to it. We are very patient people, so we harvest it once a year and um, just keep going at it as in, you know, the more food scraps we put in there, I'd say we put the double amount of, of brown um, most every time we try to add brown on top of our, our greens. Okay. All right. Now, getting back to winter, what do you do in terms of adding scraps? to the compost pile with me when there isn't snow piled up on top. And when I feel like I want to walk through the drifts to get to my compost pile, I, I bring in the food scraps that I've been keeping in big jars. And Peggy, you were talking, we were talking about this the other day. Uh, we've got these jars in the kitchen uh, and I've got a five gallon uh, bucket, paint bucket that's practically filled with scraps right now. It needs to go into the compost pile. It's been sitting on the back porch, but it's frozen. And so I don't worry about it when it's frozen because uh, I got a lid on it and no, no critters are going to get into that. And at some point I will just dump it in uh, to yeah. the compost pile. And then in the spring, I just wait for things to warm up and the yeah. biology starts and it, it will, it'll, the thing will just sink. I don't know. the compost bin is full. Unless the compost bin is full, well, then you, maybe you need a second compost bin. Um, yeah, but you said yours isn't frozen, though. That's key. That means that if there's, it's not frozen, I'll bet you anything you have red wigglers in the middle of it that are yeah. alive and well and, and working that core a of a lot the, of red wigglers out in my compost. Yeah, so yeah, just wait for spring. That thing is going to go down real fast. And that's another point that. Mike, uh, go ahead, Amy. Go ahead. Well, I was going to mention just because you had said, you know, for points for people who are listening here who may be new to composting completely, I think the biggest understanding about winter is you're not making your compost for use right away. So you're using that season as something to be a holding pattern for what will happen when temperatures warm, when you're able to get there to, you know, turn the pile, when it's more feasible to put brown matter on top. 
But for anyone who's interested in keeping food scraps out of landfills and has the space, they can definitely start putting food scraps in an area, whether it be a Darth Vader, you know, tumbler that you have similar to what you described and saw in the video or in a backyard pile. And if you can find browns that are, you know, toilet paper tubes or um, cardboard uh, to be able to layer in there, you're actively starting your pile for the spring when you'll be able to turn it better when the temperatures are mild. So people could start composting in the winter. We definitely have a shoveled out area to get from our house to our pile. Um, it's a little, you know, yeah, uh, pack so we can easily put our food scraps in there throughout the winter, but we're not expecting anything to happen until the spring with what we're putting in there. Well, that raises another question. Uh, Kate, you, you love the tumbler. I'm assuming that because you're constantly turning it, it stays active all winter long. Yes. If I was a good tumbler, <laughs> but sometimes a week will go by and I won't turn it or, or two. And especially now that it's been so cold, um, it's frozen again. But yeah, if I'm out there every couple of days and I'm turning it and I'm adding more materials to it, which is adding the moisture, I'm feeding the, the thermophiles, the bacteria that is in there that can handle the cold weather. And so it's fun to hear that, you know, clanking of the food. And it's not soft and crumbly because it's winter, but if it's kind of broken up, that means that decomposition and composting is definitely still happening. It's just happening at a slower rate because it's colder. But if you keep turning it, you keep adding materials to it, you keep adding your food scraps and your uh, sawdust, it, it will stay. Or will or stay. If, if you don't have sawdust, can you just use leaves? Could you get a bag of leaves in, in the fall and then throw those in during the course of the winter? You can. Um, leaves are, have a lot of airspace. So if you can chop the leaves up like in a lawnmower or something so that mm -hmm. the surface area is much smaller, um, the leaves will still work, but at a slower rate if you throw them in as whole leaves. Well, but Yes, they will yeah, well, in a slower rate, it's all relative. Uh, for me, like I say, I just wait till everything sinks and I realize, well, I've got fresh compost at the bottom of this yeah. bin, so I'm going to harvest it when, when I know it's ready. It's not imperative yeah. for me to keep that supply going uh, every week. Um, and uh, that gets us uh, – oh, the other thing is when you have a tumbler, obviously you don't have red wigglers in there. Correct. Correct. So yeah, red wigglers cannot live because the temperature in the tumbler that I have can get up to um, about 160, 170 degrees. Um, and it, when you open up that tumbler, it's hot. You can see the steam coming yeah. out of it. It's too hot for the worms. Interesting fact, um, as far as quality of compost goes, uh, vermicompost is way more valuable than hot compost, which would be the compost in the tumbler or in your Darth Vader or in a pile. Um, um, and it's that's like it's because the worms, are, they're transforming it. They're um, ingesting material. Worm, worm castings. As worm ca yeah, worm poop. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's yeah. more valuable. They're, and they're, making the most, they're making the most of the bacteria that's within the temperature range of 50 to 75 degrees. Which takes us to the question uh, that we have here. Can you talk about how to compost from a city apartment? Who, who, who in, in transparency, that is Kate's daughter. Oh, yes. Yeah. Okay. Thanks, Kate's daughter. Appreciate it. 
Uh, Actually, um, my my daughter is the one who uh, went and got the uh, the uh, what do you call it? The sawdust. She lives in the city, and she was able to get sawdust in the city. So that was my point with my daughter. My sister, she lives in the city. She doesn't want to do worms, but she does. Um, Amy the uh, bins that are outside. She carries a bucket outside and deposits it in, in the bin. And by the way, um, here's, uh, here's the tools of the trade for outdoor. You sent me this, Kate. Um, you've okay. got the shovel, the fork, the screen, the rubber bucket. Um, and uh, this is, 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 is that's basically uh, all you need. Uh, but getting back very uh, quickly to, um, to vermicomposting. If you don't have a yard, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So um, I have, I don't know if you can see. Oh, but I, okay. I have this. This is the can mm-hmm. of worms. Is that the three-layer so, bin? A two-layer bin? It, yes, it, it layers. Actually, it's one, two. It has four layers to it. Um, and so when you start your compost, you can get the can of worms. Um, and this is... I'm going to start over so that there's nobody in here right now, but you just add some food waste, you add some newspaper, um, and then you add your worms. And, yeah. and you, you, we do need to regulate that a little bit. You that is, from experience of having a little bit of mush happen once in mine, yeah. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And then um, this is the one that I made myself, um, and there's two layers to it. So um, you can go either way with that. And um, when you're adding worms, let me get my chair back. When you're adding worms, um, you need to take care of them. They're your pets. And you need to be feeding them pretty much um, every few days. You don't want to overfeed them. You're constantly watching for humidity. Um, Worms usually like to eat the wet newspaper first they'll start breaking that down and they work in conjunction with the bacteria that's already in there the bacteria softening the paper the worms eat the paper and then when you're adding the food they might not go to the food right away the bacteria needs to soften the food and then the worms will start to eat the food pass it through their gut bacteria will eat the food that comes out the other end and they have a symbiotic relationship um, so and, and again, there are many ways you can do this. You can do the vermicomposting in your apartment, or you can hire uh, a service to come and pick up your your food scraps, yeah. uh, like the ones we mentioned, and there are links. And if you go to the Illinois Food Scrap Coalition, you can find that. Um, one thing I will okay. say, because yes, I was Peggy. Say, and Liz also, um, who's in, I believe she's in Wilmette or Winnetka, um, talks about working with your local municipality to get composting happening in your city or, or pickup. Like uh, Lakeshore Recycling does in Highland Park, um, April through fall, and we're trying to get it year round. Yeah. And we don't, we can't even get yard waste picked up in the city of Chicago. So don't try it here. Um, You're, you're kind of on your, it's, I just have one, one thing, because I know we're running out of time. Yeah. Are we running out of time? Yes, we are. We didn't get to the, uh, we didn't get to the aha moment. And oh, Kate brought okay. up her daughter. Okay. I wanted to just make sure that got fit in. It could be after a break if we need to, but it, I think it'll be helpful actually to close this uh, out as well. Well, so no, you got to do it now and do it quickly. 
Okay. It isn't a long story, but it has to do with the fact that we, as anyone who's interested in, you know, taking care of their food scraps, it, it begins with an audit. And so since Kate brought up her daughter, I want to tell this story about when my daughter was in fifth grade and we started being more aware um, at home, we wanted to show what it really meant for food scraps to, you know, break down. So um, Elise was in fifth grade and she decided to ask uh, for their science focus, uh, whether or not we could recreate a landfill and have that in our home to be able to see food and anything else either break down or not. And what happened was interesting because we had to start the um, experiment early. We had to be in an exceptional situation where Elise was expected then to do two um, experiments because one was this alternative needing more time than the average student would be um, participating in. But she stuck with it and even at the end of the day had a better uh, turnout because it um, was giving her the opportunity to bring the landfill that we recreated at home as a model uh, to her classroom one day to show all of her peers what it was like to see what was happening in our home with uh, food scraps and other items that we had put in there. One side of our mock landfill uh, did not have a Ziploc bag. Uh, the other side did. And the Ziploc bag was not only to show that plastic was not going to break down in the landfill, but it really was to show an example of what it's like when a food scrap does not have oxygen to break down. So there were banana peels in the Ziploc bag. There were tea leaves in the Ziploc bag. There were things that would have normally been able to break down if it had oxygen. And the fact that the students then that year found out that our landfills are full, they're not getting oxygen, food's not breaking down. Um, it ended up being our aha moment and then we stuck with it ever since then. So shout out to Mrs. Nader who let Elise do two science focus <laughs> experiments that year. <laughs> and also to my daughter for taking on the extra work. Yeah. And of course you were releasing all the methane into your house too. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to say one thing be be before we go though, uh, that you're not going to learn everything you need to know from watching a program like this. You need to do your research. You need to talk to people who have done this before. Uh, there's lots of resources on my blog post. There's lots of resources at Illinois Food Scrap Coalition and at Illinois Extension, and I've got links uh, to, to those places. Um, but um, my feeling is uh, just do it. Uh, and and you don't have to have the sawdust. See, that to me, uh, you have to forgive me, Kate. I look at you doing that and I go, oh, that's an extra step. I'm never going to get around to that. That's never going to happen. I, honest to God, that's not that's not how I operate. It How I operate is what's here? What's in the yard? Oh, look, there's leaves. Oh, look, there's some twigs. You know, look, oh, there's, there's, there's plant material that I cut back before. Oh, look, there's food scraps coming out of my kitchen. That's going into the compost pile. And guess what? It works. It doesn't have to be as specific, media-specific as you, although what you're doing obviously works very much more efficiently than mine, uh, but you can do it on a, on a basic level and still succeed. Um, and that's Absolutely. what I would uh, uh, encourage everybody to do. Uh, but if you live in the city, be aware. Oh, we never got to the rat problem. Guess what, folks? Compost, yeah, rats, they, they're attracted to it. Raccoons, um, other Throw critters. Um, yeah, yeah. So these are issues. And, and as we all know, on this show, Peggy's had major if, issues with chipmunks. Um, and I have issues uh, trying to, to keep the rats at bay. They don't get into the compost pile, but uh, they're around it and they know they know it's there. 
Um, and so that's why I'm thinking of going to yeah. uh, an above ground tumbler. Um, although I'll yeah, miss you don't get into the tumbler, guaranteed. Yeah. Having one outside the Lake center all these years, the raccoons tried and they couldn't yeah. do it. Oh, if the That's raccoons right. can't get in, then you know that. They that, that and they got hands and they couldn't get in. Yeah. yeah. Although, uh, see, I keep, ra- I've, I've got this, this, you know, the, the, the typical bin with the cover and I have weights on the top of it and it keeps the raccoons out. If you don't have the weights on it. it oh, it they, all right. We tried that and, and they figured it out. <laughs> Ah. Oh, well, uh, Amy Bartucci and uh, Kate Caldwell, thank you so much. I hope folks are inspired by this to uh, get their compost piles uh, going. Um, and uh, we're, we've run way over time here, but uh, that's okay. We needed the aha moment, and, and perhaps mm-hmm. we need to have you guys back and talk a, a little more about this. But thank you so much. Thank you so much, Mike. Thanks for having Katie. us. Thank you. Uh, thank you. Great experience. Thank you. All right. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Much more to come. Please stick around. Hi, I'm Megan Kosinski, and these are Dawn Redwoods. These are one of my favorite trees, and I've spent a lot of time with my family in Northern California looking at the coastal redwoods, which are a different species, but they bear a lot of similarities to the Dawn Redwoods that we have here on the East Coast. And because they're so similar, you know, they act as a reminder of all my memories that I have with my family. The first time that I saw the coastal redwoods was when I visited my aunt and uncle in Northern California. And they asked what I wanted to do for my 20th birthday. I wanted to go and see the redwoods. And we spent a day touring through the forest, um, seeing these massive trees and I think that was the first time that I was really like starstruck by trees. And a couple years later, I became an arborist at Bartlett. So 20 years ago, my mom and her siblings planted a Dawn Redwood in uh, memory of my uncle Kevin. They planted it in his favorite place along the water in Laguna Beach, California. My aunt put a time capsule in the ground so that one day, you know, in a couple hundred years, someone will find it and learn about him. And his memory will keep living on. There's so many memories within these trees for me and I think for my entire family. Welcome to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Green, gardening, and environment radio with just a soup-son of humor. Or is that a dash? Brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. Here they are again, Peggy Malecki and Mike Novak. All I need is good food to eat and make me healthy, wealthy, wide awake. Lettuce, tomatoes, root, and bacon. What about those sweet potatoes? All I need is good food to eat. All I need is good food to eat. All I need is good tools to make me music, porches, lawn serene. Give me all that I can take. And welcome back to the show. Uh, 
I certainly hope that helps some folks uh, decide to get on the composting bandwagon. Uh, I'm going to tell you, Peggy, you're, yeah, your your Comcast service is really pretty awful at the moment. It's <laughs> oh, I've had to rejoin the show several times. I don't know if you've noticed me coming and going. No, I haven't. I, so that's I, I switched to Chrome and it helped a little bit over Firefox, but uh, wow, it's I, I don't have a lag anymore, at least. Well, that's good. I'm glad uh, that you're in real time. So uh, I, I'm feeling a little fuzzy this morning. Yeah, you're. <laughs> I know. I, I imagine you are feeling a little fuzzy. Uh, well, we need to tell people we've got a number of things to talk about, and like we got a real late start here. But uh, first of all, I want folks to know what's going on with uh, Natural Awakening Chicago for the fe- product placement. Where's product placement? Product placement. You can almost see it. Almost. Uh, I, and and it was fine until the break. I have no idea what's going on. Um, did people start going to church at ten o'clock? Is uh, or ten, ten, ten? That that we used to have that Indeed. issue here before uh, we uh, yeah. fixed. I mean, a few it was things. it was fine until we went to the break, and then all of a sudden it just went weird. Anyway, yeah. Anyways, if you're listening on the podcast, you don't see that. So there we go. That's right. So, so anyways, product placement. Yes, if you go to nachicago.com. You will actually be able to see the cover better than on the screen, or you can pick up Natural Awakenings at locations throughout the Chicago area in print, City of Chicago, Suburban Cook, Lake County, McHenry, DuPage, and out by Naperville area, um, or join our e-newsletter. Again, go to anishchicago.com to do that. But uh, this month is Minding the Heart, Why the Heart-Brain Connection Matters is our main theme, it being Heart Health Month and valentine's day and i just love putting this nice green a green heart in there yeah that's uh is that cover yeah is that vulcan blood that they uh, pumps green i don't know might be be. but um you know our listeners a lot of bird watchers or just people out in the out in their yards and, and out and about probably noticed in the last couple of weeks you're hearing cardinals singing again not just the winter chip chip song, but actually bird song, the cardinal calls. Ah. And we're starting to hear a lot of other birds um, as spring is coming. And Cheryl DeVore, who writes every month and has been on the show a couple of times, hopefully will be on again, um, has in, in Natural Chicago section a whole article on bird song. And I wish you could see the pictures. but um, <laughs> I wish we could too. Yeah, and what birds we're hearing right now and how their song changes. Because you hear bird calls year round, but you only hear bird song. That's interesting. See, I didn't know that. And I see the cardinals all year, uh, all winter mm-hmm. long. They hang out in the backyard with uh, the crazy sparrows and the occasional uh, 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 downy woodpecker um, and and a couple of robins. I saw one uh, the other week, yep. just best all puffed up like biggest fattest robin yeah. I think I've ever seen. And you're starting to hear them sing now too. And the morning doves singing and the Red Wings will be back in soon as well. And the the bird, what's kind of interesting, because Cheryl and I were talking about it um, as the article was coming together. The original headline was Birdsong Begins in Mid-February. And the last few years, as there's been some seasonal changes, it seems to be a little bit early. And the second week of January, I was hearing a cardinal. I've been shoveling the snow the last couple of weeks hearing a cardinal singing. Hmm. And we wound up changing it to birdsong begins in midwinter because it's no longer February for sure when they start. You think that's a a climate change thing? Could be. Yeah. Could be. 
But so we've got that. We've got a great piece on secondhand fashion and how online used clothing is really taking off. Things like ThreadUp, Poshmark, um, and other places where people buy and sell used clothing as opposed to buying new. Um, which is really interesting. And, and one of the conclusions in that article is, yep, it might be in, more environmentally friendly. But if people are continuing to buy all new fast fashion, which is designed to not last very long, and they're buying used, they're actually buying more. Which is. Which good, is defeating the, the whole the whole purpose. Yeah. Yeah. Of and, re- and, and both but, of us received this week uh, a. Um, a newsletter from inside climate news uh, that they say, which was uh, titled the carbon bomb in your closet. And it's about fast fashion. It's a, a, the, they say as the winter Olympics kicked off this week, climate activists awarded fashion giant Lululemon, a coal medal, C O A L a coal medal for the company's heavy reliance on coal-fired power to manufacture its athletic wear. Um, they have a huge carbon footprint, um, uh, but they were also calling attention to the whole apparel industry, which accounts for 4 to 8% of all man-made greenhouse gas emissions globally. That's roughly the equivalent of the global aviation and shipping industry's emissions combined. Yep. So, fast fashion, ooh, you just popped into focus. Okay, hold up the cover. I know. Real quick. I was going to say, can I now show the cover? There, there we you go. go. <laughs> I know. I noticed that. I was like, all of a sudden, I was back in focus. I don't. All, uh, all those people just left uh, the virtual churches. They just decided they were going to. Yeah. They they were done. They had enough of that this morning. Uh, so uh, what they else? All ordered their stuff and off they went. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I, that was a, a sidebar to the the article that's in. Yeah, uh, we really should talk about fast fashion on the show, but, um, yeah. Yeah. So just, uh, I, I know we don't have a whole lot of time to get into things. Um, that's okay. You t- also, whatever. We've got a great article on fermenting, preserving food and traditions, uh, talking about different ways to get started fermenting food, uh, vegetables and a lot of great recipes for some. One of the, one of the ways to do that is, is put your, um, food scraps in a jar in the kitchen and let it sit there for three or four mm-hmm. months. Boy, It'll ferment pretty good for you. Oh, yeah. You better yeah. leave the you lid on, though. Take that lid off. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Whoa! <laughs> you know, yeah. Well, what you do then is you just take it out on the porch and let it freeze, and then you don't worry about it till the spring. Yeah, or, or yeah, don't let it do that, freeze, and explode the bottle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so fermenting, huh? And what, and yeah. what kind of uh, things do you like to ferment or should folks um, ferment? Well, let's see. We got a, there's a, a recipe, um, fermented pickled carol, carrot sticks. We've got a recipe for this month, curried, huh. cra- uh, curried sauerkraut, uh, Mexican pineapple vinegar, and a rosy raspberry soda. So there's, there's so many different ways to ferment foods. Um, you know, it's kind of a, a basic starter. There's entire cookbooks and courses out there about it, but uh, if if that's something you want to add to your diet, fermented foods, it's much cheaper to do it yourself and more fun. And what's the benefit of fermented foods? Um, there's a lot of um, potentially for your digestive system of aiding in your digestion, of getting mm-hmm. the the um, the probiotics in there from fermented foods. Some people can't eat it, but a lot of diets, a lot of people eat a lot of sauerkraut and kombucha and other fermented plus they're tasty if you like that tangy fermented 
vinegary. Well, what's the difference then between pickling and fermentation? Um, pickling tends to rely on, not always, but tends to rely on a vinegar. Mm-hmm. And fermenting doesn't. So like a sauerkraut made with a, um, made with salt and water fermenting versus uh, when you're adding the vinegar, it's a, a different, the pickling. Okay. There's a I'm... couple different ways that you can do it. Yeah. Different approaches. Uh, fermenting could be fermented foods like making a kefir drink or making a kombucha or making a yogurt is fermented. Well, it's, well you know what? We just did a new batch of yogurt uh, uh, overnight. Uh, we, mm-hmm. we, I have to tell you, we've got... And you're room. fermenting. Okay, so we're fermenting. Um, we've gotten really good at this. Uh, we'll just take a half gallon of of uh, milk and we'll create two huge jars of mm-hmm. yogurt, um, and it is awesome. And it is simple. so. It, it's really simple. You just heat the water basically, yeah. and you add and a the, little the culture. Yeah, yeah we and don't... the sugars and the cultures are are mixing. Sourdoughs are fermenting. If you're making a sourdough bread, that's a fermenting process. Yeah. So uh, yeah. you know, if there's anything yeah. good that came out of the uh, pandemic, it is uh, that we have been making some terrific soups and our yogurt is uh, and bread and we're bread still making bread. That's too, true. Right? Yeah, we slacked off a little bit lately, but it's time to get back and and make another. You know, Kathleen mostly does the bread. I I helped. Uh, and I do help. I'll help chop nuts and things like that. To say, put Kathleen in. makes the bread, you eat the bread. Uh, exactly. <laughs> Who will help me eat the bread, said <laughs> the little red hen. So, um, yeah. all right. So, so thank you. I, I put the link up, nhchicago.com. And please, while you're up there, sign up for the e-newsletter. Yes, Greatly please do. And, and, yeah. Yeah, there's some, some great stories. You've got some great writers in there. You know, We're speaking of Cheryl DeVore. I'm hoping... And uh, I'm not trying to out her on the the program, but I'm hoping she'll be, we're thinking of doing a panel of environmental reporters. Um, And I got some good names who have said yes. I'm kind of surprised. Mm -hmm. I said, would you, would you be on a panel? Uh, And um, they said, yeah, sure. Sounds like fun. Um, So um, names you will recognize. I'm not going to give anything away yet, Uh, but uh, we're going to get them on the show. But Cheryl might be one of them. She's sort of, she was the one who said, well, who you got? <laughs> so, uh, well, Cheryl, yeah. I'll tell you who, who we've got, but uh, in a private conversation. Um, all right. Um, Want to get re- back to, very quickly to a couple of things. The one yeah, is. We've got to talk about One Earth, too. Oh, my goodness. Let's do that real quick. Um, the One Earth Film Festival, as you can see, we've been running trailers for the last couple of weeks for the One Earth Film Festival. And let me call that up right here. There we go. Um, and uh, that uh, is uh, happening again. We're going to have a, uh, a director or uh, creator of uh, one of the films on the show, maybe more than one. The uh, this film festival goes from the 4th to the 13th of March. Um, the, uh, the, the slogan this year is Let's Turn the Tide. Um, you've seen a couple of the films understory. Yeah. What? Yeah. Sorry. And the, the fire one that we showed today, bring your own brigade. Yeah. Wow. And there's others. Um, I, I was downloading uh, a trailer last night 
and it was just taking forever, and I just couldn't make it work, and I finally had to give up, uh, and it's called Girls for Future. Um, it looks like a really cool film, and I realized when I'd finished that I had downloaded the whole film and not the trailer, ah. which is why it was taking so long. Um, and well, now you can watch it. Uh, yeah, I can. Um, uh, but what I meant to download was the trailer, and I'm not sure what happened. So at any rate, you can go to oneearthfilmfest.org and get all of uh, the information. Um, there's um, um, uh, the Plastic Bag Story is one of the films that, that mm-hmm. is going to be in there, which we uh, uh, – and here are some of the others. Uh, Cheryl Johnson, still fighting for environmental justice on Chicago's southeast side. Um, and, um, it's, uh, my octopus teacher is one yes. of them. I, I want to, I hope I can get the, the trailer, I saw the for, trailer that. for that. Yeah. yeah. The ants and the grasshopper. Um, so, uh, just go to one earthfilmfest.org. You can volunteer, you can sign up for the fest. Um, and, uh, we'll have more. In the coming weeks, we wanted you to be aware of that, and you can see the logo will pop up any second here, uh, right underneath Peggy uh, for for the festival. There it is. There we are there on it cue. Is. Um, there. All right. Uh, also, uh, again, Belbo Prairie, save Belbo Prairie. There is a meeting this Tuesday, uh, a general meeting about it. You can go to savebelboprairie.org. Um, and sign up, and, and anybody can go. It's uh, this is not with the the powers that be. This is not with the airport authority. It's just the activists and the people who are concerned about Bell Bowl Prairie who have been meeting regularly to discuss uh, what's going on. You'll get the the latest uh, uh, on what is happening in the courts and in the court of public opinion. Um, but uh, I am happy to say, uh, as I mentioned at the top of the show, we have now. 201 new YouTube subscribers. Hey, that uh, one, one happened during the show, it sounds like. Yes, one did happen during the show. Uh, anybody out there who hasn't subscribed yet, for every subscription, we're giving five bucks to the GoFundMe site. Uh, we're, up, we're over $1,000 now. We're at $1,005. And uh, we'll do it until the end of the day. Uh, I, I don't care how many more we get. We'll find a way to pay for it. And... Um, um, we're happy to do it, but there's also, I wanted to call to your and attention. And if you got the show e-newsletter with the link, if you have that in your inbox, A, please open it so we get the constant contact open, but B, forward it to all your friends and say donate, to, uh, not, not donate, subscribe today so the donations can continue. And um, there's another fundraising drive to, to assist with legal fees that is uh, – being held from February 8th to March 1st. Um, and this is from Amy Dahl from uh, Friends of Illinois Nature Preserves, who's been on our show. Um, she says that one generous donor has started a matching pool at $1,000. It's not us. It's somebody else who said, mm-hmm. I'll give $1,000 for every $1,000 that comes in. So, um, uh, so they want other folks to consider adding to the match pool. Um, they want to be able to create a match of $5,000 or more. And so the way to do this is write to Amy. Uh, so, and it's at amy at friendsilnature.org. 
Amy at friendsilnature.org. Uh, I think if you go, to, I'm hoping if you go to uh, um, friendsilnature.org, you can find her email address there. But uh, Peggy, I assume you're going to pop that up on uh, mm-hmm. on the social media here on our chat room. Um, and last but not least, huh, um, the because uh, there's a lot going on, and I and where do we have this? I'm trying to find it, but uh, there's going to be um, the Skokie uh, Village Board is meeting yeah, t- tomorrow. I, I got to hop over to. Yeah, I I forgot where I I placed it here. Yeah, uh, I got it here. Um... If you've got it, that'd be great. Yeah, this actually um, board meeting on Monday night at Village Hall in Skokie. Uh, this is actually on the Tell Skokie It Must Protect Migratory Birds Change.org. Um, and protect Skokie Birds at gmail.com is to get on that list. Protect Skokie Birds at gmail.com. And there is. Um, Actually, what she is saying in this article is it's live on Zoom as well. Right. So, so you, even if you can't, or, or YouTube, I'm sorry, YouTube live stream. Uh, the meeting is 8 p.m. Monday, February 7th at the Village of Skokie, Village Hall. If you can't get there, if you're uncomfortable getting there, if you live on the other side of town or across the country, if, and I'll put the link up, if you go to the YouTube, um, that all shows as people attending the meeting. Great. And, and- she says... She says, just turn it on. Even if you can't watch it, just turn it on. Even if you can't be there in person. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And they, but they want people to show up to this meeting right. in Skokie. In and Skokie. what time is the meeting? Is 8 it? p.m. 8 p.m. Yeah. Um, at Village Hall. I'm surprised the, the council didn't say, hey, it's going to be at 2 a.m. Everybody show up. Um, but the idea is to prevent uh, a 14-story Carvana Tower on the Eden's Expressway, across from Harms Woods, which is going to be a bird magnet, a death magnet. Um, and, and, um, and massive light pollution as well. Exactly. And there's no reason for it. Um, so we'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, and yeah, if, I'm going to put that change.org link up as well. Okay, fabulous. All right, we need to get to meteorologist Rick DeMaio. Very interesting stuff coming up, uh, so please stick around. From spring seed and soil treatments to summer foliar feeding to fall stubble digesters, Blazing Star provides microbial tools from Tinyo Biologicals for natural and organic farmers. They have solutions for home gardeners, too. And Blazing Star also offers agroecological education and consulting, especially for permaculture work in Zones 4 and 5. Learn more about these great folks and great techniques at blazing-star.com. One of the other advantages in using our happy leaf lights to grow your tomatoes at home is they use very little energy. Um, They're using about 30 watts of energy, so if they're on for 16 hours a day, it's less than a nickel per day to run the lights. All the other costs are some seeds, some nutrients, which are also very inexpensive, and um, you can actually grow your own tomatoes that are pesticide-free indoors, in your basement, in a closet, anywhere you want, 
and we are showing you how to do that. And welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. There he is, meteorologist hey, Rick, Rick DeMille. Good morning, Rick. Morning, Peg. I like that happy leaf. It sounds like something I tried in high school. Um, you know, they have been approached by people like that, and I think I suspect that there is a, a lot of growing, especially now that it's legal uh, in so many places. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I always thought it was legal, right? Uh, oh, oh, yeah. Yeah, of course. You wouldn't uh, do it any other way. Um, so uh, here we are. Uh, the uh, We've got some maps we'll be showing, but uh, we all survived uh, the, the storm. Uh, Wasn't that see, terrible? Rick, Rick's, got the, Rick's got the breaking up freezing problem right now. Uh-oh. All right, maybe he's got Comcast. There we are. You're back. You want, me to, you want me to log in and out? Um, yeah, give, give it a shot and, and see what happens. Um, Sounds good. All right, he will do my, that. My connection was doing that earlier, Rick. So, um, and uh, we'll see. Although, I, what I would rather have him do is reboot the router. Um, um, I don't have time if, to do that. But. Yeah, no, he. We don't. We'll just we'll see what happens when he comes back in and and just sort of live with it uh, at the moment. Oh, and by the way, we got uh, <laughs> during the the break there another subscriber. So uh, we're up to uh, 202 who nice. have uh, new subscribers. Okay. So a thousand doesn't uh, cost a thing. Doesn't cost you a thing to do it, and the money goes to the Save Belbow Prairie Legal Fund. So mm-hmm. uh, feel free, yeah. folks, to uh, to keep doing that. And while, <laughs> and while you're on the the uh, site, you can look at a cat video as well because we're we're not too proud to do cat videos uh, on the Mike Novak cat show. videos, with... huh? Yeah. Well, while, while we're waiting for Rick, um, do you want to talk about, I don't have it in front of me. Do you happen to have the Field Museum seed distribution? Oh, yeah. Oh. I've got that here. Hold on. Um, at least I know where that one is. Just give me two seconds. Uh... I'll just keep watching the uh, red cardinals out on the feeder while you're doing that. Yeah. Oh, there he is. Uh, let's see how this works. Uh, anyway, the uh, Field Museum is is going to be running a native plant seed distribution program with seeds sourced from their own gardens. Um, and they have a form uh, that you can fill out. Uh, you'll have to find it, Peggy, because I can't give out this URL. It's just too long. It's not even that okay. long, but it's just... Uh, but there, there's yeah. a, something... It's a AUA if, newsletter, Advocates it, for Urban Agriculture, so I'll have to find it. Well, yeah. we're talking to Rick. Or I can forward it to you. Um, and, uh, in fact, I, I will do that right now. So, uh, uh, you're back. Let's let's see how this holds up, Rick. Here's my back. Thank you. Back. Yeah. Here's okay. Yeah, we, we we know how that works. I'm, I'm doing I'm doing a Peggy right now. <laughs> what? He's making uh, fun of you, Peggy. I, I I'm busy copying and pasting. Uh, what were did, you doing? Did oh nothing. Was, you do, it doesn't matter. I was doing the Peggy. I was doing this. That's how what? you were kind of looking into the camera, Peggy. That's okay. Oh, we, that's because I'm trying. Peggy, by the way, um, I'm by the way, between, Peggy. I've got Chrome open. I've got Firefox open. I've got Restream open. 
flipping between them all here. No flipping. Uh, no flipping. By the way, uh, your natural wakings from last month again was fantastic. A lot of great information. Thank you. Well, now Thank we're, in, we're yeah. in, in, in this month. One of this month, Rick. Um, I'll get there. And then the place that I get it from, JD Mill, here, uh, around the corner from my house. Uh, the guy always says that people are always commented about how um, they rely on a lot of stuff in there. JD Mills is a fantastic health food store right on Chicago Avenue um, in Evanston, just literally two blocks over mm-hmm. South Boulevard. It's got some of the best stuff. So people from Rogers Park, it's like literally like a three or four drive. It, it's really, really great. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. Um, your, uh, your connection is a little wonky today, Rick. We'll see how well it holds up. Start but, talking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, but I, I'll just put this up right away because this is, you sent us some really interesting stuff about what's going on in, uh, near Beijing and in Beijing, uh, yep. with, with the Olympics, um, in China, in China. Um, yeah, and as, as I said to Mike, when the show started, as I was watching the, uh, moguls and the snowboarding Last evening, just kind of had a total different view of it after reading those articles. Yeah, they, they, and it's like they have to zoom in to make sure they don't pick out the brown spots, right? <laughs> well, yeah, if you look at this, you can see that this is a part, as you, you sent us some terrific articles that uh, show us that this part of the country really doesn't get a lot of snow. No. Or water. Or, or, or yeah. water. I think that's the big thing. Uh, because it's a lot of snow, it's kind of like having the Olympics in the mountains um, east ago, as opposed to Squaw Valley, which is where 1960, which gets a ton of snow. Um, and, you know, similar to what happened with Lake Placid in 1980 uh, in upstate New York and in British Columbia, um, they just didn't get good snow. I mean, they had some snow, but it was kind of like that wet stuff, and they were basically hauling it in. The difference here, as Peg points out, is it's a dry climate. And as the article in 2015 from the New York Times came out and said, you guys really think we can have Olympics here? And said, Don't worry about it. Um, we can make snow. And we all know that takes anything and everything, so they might as well make snow. But the problem, though, um, and this alludes to Peg's point, is you still need to get the liquid to go through the snowblowers to make the snow and they don't even get the liquid. So they're basically the liquid or the water uh, from other parts of China into this snow. Um, and when you're trying to, you know, build an economy on, you know, an autocratic regime where people are repressed, um, what's one way of making that stand that even more so is to take people's water away from them so they yeah. can have the Olympic. So there's a lot of weirdities with these Olympics. Like this one, um, is is really front and center now that people are actually watching them. Yeah, it 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 is it is it just well. And let's let's pop up this next one because it doesn't, it doesn't sit well. It just doesn't sit well. No, it it doesn't. Um, as the article indicates, farmers are complaining that they can't even grow crops because they're taking water away for the Olympics. Yeah, I mean, and I posted an apologies to our our watchers and on YouTube because there's a couple of false starts there on the link, but now it's up there. Uh, what yeah, this this would be this would be similar to uh, the Olympics being in Squaw Valley, 
you know, up there in the mountains outside of Lake Tahoe. Um, and all of a sudden, you go, you know what, guys, we're, we're in a snow, even though they got a lot of snow earlier this year, we're going to take all the water um, from the farmers in the Central Valley of California. Now, we know that's not going to happen. Oh, yeah. and by the way, we're going to move those farmers away from there, too. <laughs> That was the other thing the article. Yeah, about. just just stunning, and and you know, bad enough that. Sorry to get too political, but the IOC. No, no this uh, is important the, stuff to talk about. You know, <laughs> but the, the whole Olympic uh, thing is so corrupt already. Okay, and now let's take an authoritarian regime that is pushing farmers and little people out of the way, so they can highlight their how their authoritarianism works so well. You know, we, we, a well-oiled machine that we have here in China. With it's a big also the bigger picture, though, of the environmental impact of the Olympic Games, be it winter or summer. Yeah, I, I think I think you know you got to look at it from both sides, from what Mike said and what you said, Peg. Um, it's the environmental impact as well. So you know, when clearly, and I know you're showing the the forecast there. I don't know if that's the current one, but you get the current one if you want with that link. Um, but what what clearly Really is happening here is the IOC, you know, back in 2000 when they gave the Olympics to Beijing for the 2008 game, it was basically, look, we, we know you're finally, we're going to help you and we're also going to be national police on this. So um, you're going to have the Summer Olympics, you're going to clean up your act, um, you're going to, you know, you're going to open up, you know, your stage, your world stage to, you know, uh, human rights deficiencies, which is which is what they did. And China responded by, you know, pulling back on things, building cities, all that other stuff. They cleaned up the air. But literally within six months, the smog was back. I mean, no no one thought it was going to go away. And and I think it was like right after that, they gave them the Winter Olympics. Um, and they said, OK, well, you're going to get a second try at this. All right. Um, and the second try is obviously meeting up with horrible results due to that. Um, you know, there were some, you know, political tensions leading up to this. Uh, Trump didn't help by calling them, by calling them names. And they were the reason why we have the, you know, the COVID-19 pandemic and all these other things. Yeah. So the stage was already, you know, on, on little, little, you know, size milk cartons that were a year old. You know, if you think about it from that way, um, and it was already shaky. And then obviously what's going on with Russia. And so it, it all this is like leading up to a point where everybody just wants to go like this at the at the start of the games when they light the torch. But everybody knows as soon as when that torch is out, we go right back to where we were before. But these things that are being shown with the environmental impact and the fact there are people actually being hurt to get the games going about really really does because you know at what point did olympics become you know the bearer of good things for all people as opposed to just getting you know the economy going and then you, it trickles down eventually i mean look what happened in russia literally a week later after sochi ended i mean <laughs> putin was in was in crimea and that was it and it was like okay are we going to put boots on the ground no we're not because they were nice to us for a while um, so it, it, you know, this happens a lot. I mean, in 1972 in Munich, when they had the, um, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the wrestlers from Israel murdered, um, 
it's not like the Olympics have never been involved in some sort of international political conflict, but this is this is kind of like been almost like kept behind the scenes until now we really see what's going on. Um, and, and the optics can't be hidden. I mean, there's no snow once you look beyond, as Peg was saying, the moguls and the mountains. Yeah. Again, just going back to environmental impact, be it the summer games, the, the winter summer games, games, the winter games. It, it's just huge. Between yeah, what's being and, built, and, what's being cut down, what's being all of the resources, all the plastics, all the everything. It's just Yeah, and, and this is I think this is I think a great moment for I think, you know, college kids and high school kids who are normally lured to the Olympics because it's the first time they're seeing, you know, flags from other countries. Um, I always found watching the opening ceremonies to be like this enormous lesson in international geography. You're looking at the flags and sometimes they'll show like where the countries are and you go, wow, that's cool. Where's Cameroon, you know, and, and where's Tazakistan, you know, it's places like that. And I think as you were alluding to, yeah, it's, it's fun. And, and it's fun to learn because you get up to be, you know, you get, you get to stay up and watch TV, you know, at night, you know, which I was never allowed to do. Um, so I think this this could be a really great teaching moment um, for for um, for any grade, you know, K through 12 and even in, in college. I mean, it, it's huge and it's right there in front of us. You know, why are the mountains not covered with snow and where's the snow coming from? I mean, it, 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 it's such an easy thing to use as a platform to discussing so many other things. Yeah. Uh, and, and you, it, it can be positive, uh, and yeah. I'm, um, but boy, this uh, the Olympics are in, badly in need of some reform. Um, it makes me wonder if some at some point somebody isn't going to set up a, an alt Olympics, and uh, and well, and, they tried that. Remember, I think they didn't have like Turner had some sort of like like XL Games or something, Goodwill Games. Remember that they had those for a while, and those didn't do much. Yeah, um, but I, I I do that someone, um, one of the morning meteorologists, like a um, a Dylan Driver or an Al Roker from NBC, will talk about that, um, and at the same time make it to the point where if it is talked about, it's talked about from a standpoint of you're not going to turn people away from watching because right away the NBC execs are like, all right. You're saying all these great things, but now, now watch. And we've spent a lot of money. <laughs> so you got to be really, really about that. Yeah, and you have the athletes who have, you know, they're there. It's about them. They're here. Right, right. Now, our hockey team isn't there. Uh, they, they didn't go. Uh, but I, I'm, I'm curious to hear um, how the snow is, because it's all fake snow. And we've, we've, they, they have fake snow all the time, or they human-made snow all the time. Um, on mountaintops, it's usually in the areas where they try to replace the snow that uh, is taking you from, you know, say the the middle of the trail off to the left, so that they're kind of like they're smoothing over the edges and things like that. But this is almost one hundred percent all man-made snow, you know. Um, so it, it it it's kind of odd from that standpoint. Yeah, and that's uh, a I, big standpoint. 
And uh, and and you were talking about geography and maps, and you you get a chance if 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 you see something like that. No, well, now I've learned where Beijing is in China, and uh, where these uh, things are occurring, where the the various uh, events are happening in China. Um, I have to ask you a question: Are you in a new room today, by any chance? A different room from where you usually are, Rick? I'm in the same room. Yeah, is same it? Room. Oh, okay. It's just the uh, the uh, and I apologize to our listeners and viewers. It's a it's shaky the connection. It's it's sort of choppy right. today. So no, I mean, I did a, I did a Zoom session yesterday for an hour and a half with a student. It was just fine. Really? Okay. Yep. All right. Let's take a look at uh, at this because this is what came through here. Uh, February one to three uh, earlier this week, um, you sent us and there's your uh, your highlight of the uh, thirteen and twelve inches of snow. Mokina had fourteen point three. I see. Yeah, and and in those Republican strongholds from Will County, apparently the people down there didn't think it snowed that much. So I'm curious about that. What? What? What do you say? <laughs> That's a joke. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, they, uh, they they still don't think it snowed, but it oh way. okay, it was fake um, news. All right, uh, right. Uh, but yeah, this was this was an event that was remember it was talked about um, on show that it was definitely a possibility that it could happen. We weren't so sure about pulling uh, the string on hoisting the warnings, but I remember our conversation the weather service saying, "What's all the fuss about? We need right. to slow down on this." And in the end, like literally 24 hours later, they were going full blown with like, it's going to snow. So um, that's why you got to be careful sometimes. And I think it was because the, the boundary was so close to us, which was fine. Um, and it was going to be two events. The first one nailing us, the second one skirting us. And then the third one, which was lake effect snow, which never materialized, even though we had some lake effect snow to about an inch or so. Uh, but that was also, uh, that, that one ended up going further north. This was a great snowfall because um, it was um, over a long period, uh, almost 36 to 40 hours. In addition to that, uh, areas to the south of us got um, almost 15 to 18 inches in some areas, and the ground was warm, so whatever snow fell is now melting into that uh, soil. And remember, I talked about this last week, that they were in need of moisture. And this snow is now melting and going back into the soil. So in two months from now, when the farmers start to prepare their fields, um, they got a fairly decent amount of moisture. So uh, this was a really amazing event. It went all the way from Colorado uh, through the Southern Plains into the Midwest and then into the uh, northern part of the Northeast. What's really amazing is that you had at one point moderate to heavy sleet you had moderate to heavy freezing rain in memphis um as well as louisville uh you had a tornado watch uh, across louisiana and mississippi five confirmed tornadoes so the, the so the air mass across the deep south was very warm and very moist and in addition to that literally all the snow that had fallen from uh, the Del Marva Peninsula up through eastern New Jersey into New York, uh, the southern New England area and the Boston area is all gone. Almost all of the snow from a standpoint of just the snow depth has basically been eradicated down to the surface. 
Uh, there's still probably massive piles because that's what happens in urban areas. But the white area over northeast, north, uh, northeastern North Carolina, that was about eight, eight to ten inches. And all of that white literally in about four days completely went away. Uh, so by the time you got to December, 5th of February, rather, uh, two days of rain and temperatures in the 50s, there's nothing left. So they actually had flooding in parts of this area. Not so much because of the heavy rain, because only got about a three quarters of an inch of rain, uh, but due to the fact that you had all this snow melting and it had nowhere to go. Um, so this was really a remarkable turnaround. Sometimes you'll get this um, in like maybe early March, <clears throat> but this was, I think, one of those signature um, earmarks of a warmer winter where you can get a lot of snow melted really, really fast. Yeah, those those satellite uh, images are are really uh, quite amazing when you when yeah, you look at those. Um, well, and that takes us to uh, what's coming up uh, this week. Uh, here's uh, Sunday. Yeah. So if you noticed, if you were out yesterday, um, it was mm-hmm. gorgeous in the morning. I took my dog Jax to Canal Shores, and we walked from uh, four or five blocks of snow you know back and forth and it was beautiful and then it got windy in the afternoon and man that wind was cold uh it was 19 degrees but the wind was like sustained at 20 so if you were out Yikes. last night it was pretty chilly yeah it was the cold. Why. uh yeah it was it, it, just a really cold wind chill so this low that's going north of us um is going to drag a cold front through us uh tonight so we'll generally be in the mid to upper 20s today we barely got to 20 yesterday after an overnight low of about zero in some areas. And then you can see the next map literally will take these clipper systems um, east of us. So this is going to be the pattern now for the next seven days. We've kind of reverted back to where we were in late January. So you can see there's going to be some lake effect snow um, east or downwind of Lake Superior, downwind of Lake Michigan. The lakes are, are about 32 to 33% covered. We're ahead of where we were last year, but there's going to be no more lake effect snow downwind of Lake Erie. Lake Erie is completely frozen over. Now, granted, it's a thin layer of ice, but it's enough where it's going to keep any ice from forming. So tomorrow's weather, you know, a cold start to today, maybe low teens, afternoon high close to 30. Um, I went cross-country skiing last Monday. Uh, in the woods just east of um, uh, Oakton College, and the snow is great, and I'm going to go back again tomorrow. That's my routine. I teach there during the day, and I ski in the afternoon, and the snow <laughs> is fantastic. Uh, it's great. I mean, last last Sunday after I had my show with you guys, um, I went and played ice hockey, you know, two blocks down yeah, the street. How was that? So, Did you score any goals? I was the goaltender. Yeah. Oh, okay. I, being, that, being that it was mainly kids Did who were playing. Did you stop any goals? Did I stop any goals? Yeah, yeah. I, I I was hoping you wouldn't ask that question. Um, but uh, <laughs> I, had, I had a couple of I had a couple of dings on my shins. But other than that, um, when you're the when you're the big guy with the stick, you become the goaltender. Well, uh, did, um, did 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 you did you have a, an actual uh, goalie stick or uh, was it a regular? Oh, yeah. no, I, okay. I, I I played hockey when I was in um, high school, so I was oh. a defenseman and I was a goalie. So I got I got all that stuff. I was, I, I was pretty athletic. Yeah. Um, but, but again, the, the snow out there, if you remember, and I know payback of, you know, types of snow, things like that, 
if you remember, even though we got all that snow last year, it was really dry. It was very late, and it melted so fast, and you didn't get a chance to enjoy it. And then yeah. the year we had snow, we literally had rain, rain, snow, rain, and it was full time. This is actually really, really great snow, and it's going to be around for a while because I don't see any real warm coming at us anytime soon. Basically, near to slightly below normal, um, and that should help us enjoy the snow or allow us to enjoy the snow. Um, so this is Tuesday. So um, Tuesday's map shows another, you know, area of um, plains there, if you want to call it that, uh, coming in from the south and west. And it's interesting to note that the downslope warming over Nebraska and South Dakota yesterday produced temperatures almost in the mid to upper 50s because there's no snow in South Dakota and northern Nebraska have been in a snow drought um, since about early December. So South Dakota, Nebraska, they had all their snow in like, like late November, like one big blizzard. And yet, when was the last time we've talked about a storm coming out of the Rockies and moving into the northern plains and producing just a windy, snowy event? We haven't. It's either been the West Coast, and they've been done for about the last month of Clippers, and then we've had a bunch of these storms. So that's one of the reasons why we were able to get, um, you know, we, we stayed fairly dry. So you can see Wednesday's map shows the front come through, winds shift around to the west, back into the mid to upper 20s Wednesday. But, but flow of air continues. These highs are building in over the ocean and then coming across the mountains. These aren't Arctic highs. And even this next system, you can see there's like a low up over the western plains of Canada. So again, we get into westerly flow. There's nothing coming in from the Arctic. So even by Thursday, a weak system comes through, mid to upper 20s, low 30s, normal high is 32. So we never really get cold again. Um, I think we're probably, I hate to say it, but if we can get the 13th of February without any true blasts of Arctic air, which I think we will, we may be done for winter from a standpoint of anything like 10 to 15 below zero. I don't think that's going to happen. So even by next Friday, you can see the pattern wants to come in. You know, these things want to come in a little bit from the north. But but even then, um, it, it's more of like a very transient feature. So again, um, any, any snow, any big snows coming at us from a standpoint of four to six inches for the next seven, it's not going to happen. You can maybe get like a little one inch two thing like you know like we had friday night you had those three hours of snow that came through um but the roads are in good shape there's a lot of residual salt all we need to do now is clean up uh the, the sidewalks and the alleyways i really feel for the uh sanitation work. we have to try to pull these you know huge you know bins of of garbage that are now probably doubly packed and you can't because there's snow around them so i i, I got that's that's really hard. So this this is the year when uh, winter really begins. I think get people down. So you can see the sixth to ten through the fifteenth of February has all that warm air west of us. Still a lot of cold air east of us. Um, and again, above normal temperatures across you know the California area. And this goes all the way through eighteenth of February. And again, you still have these little. Shots of cold air coming down the Great Lakes. So we're kind of in between normal and slightly below normal. That's kind of like how we're going to be. 
but the chances of getting storm coming out of the plain states with this type of setup, I mean, the, the, the jet stream literally has gone through a split again. So we got into that polar vortex for about three weeks. Um, we got our cold weather. We got our snow. Um, and now you can get to enjoy it. So literally, I would not be surprised if over the next two weeks, what we have out there right now um, is still there. And that mm. and that's and that, that's what you want winter for. You want to be able to enjoy the snow. You want to be able to embrace the cold. Okay. Um, I'm going to let you go because uh, it's still a little choppy. So uh, um, but we, I think everybody got the, the gist of this. No major storms, um, no major cold for at least the next couple of weeks. Yeah, maybe maybe we should check to see if um, um, someone monitoring the uh, the Olympics listened to us. Is <laughs> uh, jamming us? It yeah. Is, yeah, 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 yeah. That it wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, yeah. Maybe it's, NBC. It's, it's a meta problem. It's yeah. Well, except that Peggy had it earlier today, and and yours has cleared up, Peggy, and uh, yeah. that's that's good to see. All right, Rick. Thanks so much. Enjoy your skiing. Tomorrow, play. Let us know if you play more hockey. Will do. Take care, guys. All right. Yeah. Uh, all right. Let's just do it. And thank uh, everybody who was on the program today. I, I sure enjoyed our conversation with Amy Bartucci and Kate Caldwell about composting. Uh, thanks to meteorologist Rick DeMille, to Kathleen upstairs, to Legata, the birthday cat, and Basil. When's Basil's birthday? December. Oh, we missed it. Did we? Did we recognize it? I don't know. No. You don't have to be modest about basil, okay? Just um, don't forget. Uh, you can still subscribe to our channel to the end of the day, and five bucks will go to uh, Save Belleville Prairie. Pick up your latest copy of Natural Awakening Chicago. Until next time, go green or go home. Uh, Stadler, uh, what is that? It? Yes, it's over. How'd you like it? I don't know. I slept through the whole thing. Well, you didn't miss much.